Let's um, pray as we just gather around God's word this morning. So, Father, we just thank you that we can gather together here, enjoy each other's fellowship, and just receive from you, Holy Spirit. And uh, this morning, we just ask that you would just breathe on your word. We thank you that it will be a lamp to our feet. It will be a light to our path. It will be challenging, and it will help us in the days ahead. So, God, we just give ourselves a fresh, give us the need to hear what your Spirit is saying to us personally. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. During the 80s, in one of my trips overseas, I was passing through Hong Kong. And in those days, it was uh, really cheap to be able to buy goods in Hong Kong and avoid the, uh, the tax back here in New Zealand. So I wanted to get some toys for my uh, young kids and so I picked up these um, cars and boats that, what we call now, are Transformers. And uh, this was before the movie came out. And these things were absolutely fantastic uh, because it wasn't just a car and it wasn't just a boat. But you pushed a few buttons here or there and it transformed into a robot. And a robot that could do all these fantastic things. And my boys, they just absolutely loved these things. Why I mention that this morning is because most of us have a fascination with transformation. Uh, whether it's a caterpillar being transformed into a beautiful butterfly. How many people have ever watched a monarch caterpillar uh, go into a chrysalis and then uh, followed it through as it transforms and becomes a, a beautiful butterfly? Yeah. Um, whether it's beauty and the beast, the kiss of love, uh, changing the dying beast into a handsome prince. We have a fascination with transformation. Something or someone ordinary transforming into someone extraordinary. It just captures our imagination. Uh, whether it's a mild-mannered reporter, Clark Kent, transforming into Superman, or whether it's the high school student, Peter Parker, who becomes the hero we call Spider-Man, uh, we are fascinated with transformations because in our heart of hearts, we hold on to the hope that with a miracle, ordinary people like us can become extraordinary and make a difference in this life. I wonder if that fascination is because We've been created in the image of God. We've been created with a plan and a purpose in mind. And on the outside, we're all ordinary. But within us are the seeds of transformation, the possibility to make a difference to fulfill a meaningful destiny. Now, for this to happen... We need to see a transformation from what we were to who we have been created in God to become. And that transformation starts with what the Bible calls being born again. Now, before that transformation, we just know that there is something missing in our life. Things just don't make sense. And that something missing is a relationship with God. 
transformation in our lives happens as we have an encounter with Jesus or as we hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. Uh, The good news message that most of us have heard and responded to is that God's real. He made you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Secondly, everyone has sinned. And your sin separates you from God. Thirdly, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, allowed himself to be crucified so that he could take the punishment that our sins deserved. And fourthly, the good news, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that what he said was true. And now, if we repent from our sins and trust in him, for our salvation, we will be forgiven and accepted freely and indwelt with his spirit and so starting a relationship with God. The, the Bible is full of transformation stories and one of the great ones that I always enjoy reading is in Acts chapter 9 and so we're going to uh, look at that and it's on the big screen behind me in the NIV version and it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground And heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. In verse 10, what shall I do, Lord, he asked. Now, get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. When Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could See again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished. Wow, what an amazing transformation uh, that was. Saul was transformed from, a hate, from hating Christians to following Jesus Christ. He's transformed from persecuting followers of Jesus to preaching Jesus, all because he had an encounter with the risen 
Jesus that absolutely transformed his life. And there are numerous people here who have had similar transformations. Uh, I remember back to when I first got born again of the Spirit of God. Everything in my life changed. And um, Rochelle is going to jump up right now. And then Russell's going to jump up as well. And uh, they're going to tell us what happened when they got born again. So I, um, I grew up in a Christian home. And so I thought, basically, I'd always believed in God. And I, I thought that I was already a Christian. But when I was four, I remember it was Easter time. And I was asking my parents a lot of questions at the lunch at our table at lunchtime. And I just remember asking all about why Jesus had died on the cross. And then I had that realization of um, I needed to pray. Like it just because I was, I guess, because I was in a Christian home didn't mean I was a Christian. And so anyway, I, I prayed the prayer and my mum tells me that afterwards I just started laughing. And I laughed and laughed. And yeah, that's my, when I became a Christian. Oh man, wouldn't you have liked to have become a Christian when you were four? Oh, so, so, so good. I could have avoided a lot of heartache if I'd been become a Christian when I was four. That's my dream testament hearing people meet Jesus young. I grew up in a missionary family, a godly family at the age of 12. I took a tennis racket to my dad. I said, I'm not going to church anymore. At that point, all my parents' protection from the demonic realm against me was lifted, and I experienced three and a half years of horrific demonic oppression. I believe God was retired in a cloud somewhere. Evil spirits were real, but God couldn't do much. Age of 15, I dated a gorgeous girl, and her sister was a Christian. When I explained my hauntings, she said, mention the name of Jesus. And I thought, well, fair enough, you know, but he's retired. And as soon as I mentioned the name of Jesus, those demonic spirits ran. Then I picked up a little Gideon's Bible in my farming cabin where I was, began reading it, and God just took out confusion and gave me new life. Surrounded by 120 cows one afternoon, watching for bloat, I said, Lord, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for the way I've treated my parents. Forgive me all the wrong things that I've done. And God began to transform my life. Before becoming a Christian, I stuttered, and I was terrified of people. Within weeks of becoming a Christian, God said, you're going to preach my word and you're going to love on people. And I've become the person God called me to be. Great. Absolutely fantastic. You know, before he was a Christian, Saul thought he had everything going for him. He had a rich heritage. He was born into the tribe of Benjamin. And because of the standing of his family, he was able to um, procure... um, Roman citizenship. So he had the best of both worlds. He was well educated. He was trained at the feet of one of the greatest teachers of the day. Uh, He was ambitious and he quickly rose through the ranks of the Pharisees. He was very, very religious. Uh, He was blameless according to the law of Moses. He was uh, described as being a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was very zealous for the faith of his fathers, and he was absolutely convinced that he was doing the will of God. The amazing thing is that despite all of this, Saul was working against God's plans and against God's purposes rather than for them. But God had a better plan for Saul's life. God had Saul's number, and he knew exactly what was needed to give Saul 
the opportunity to turn his life around. You know, God doesn't force anyone to become a Christian, but he does provide opportunities for us to say yes to his offers. And this morning, I'm convinced that God's got your number. He wants to continue his transforming work in your life. He knows exactly where you are at. He knows what's going on in your life. And he wants to deepen his relationship with you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I, I love the story that Tony Campolo tells of the time that he was preaching at a Pentecostal college in the United States. And before he was to speak, he gathered in the back room as was the um, order of the day. And eight men uh, were supposed to play, pray for him. Uh, but one of the eight didn't even pray for Campolo or the meeting. Instead, he went on praying for some guy named Charlie Saltzfus. He said, Dear Lord, uh, you know Charlie Saltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And Campolo afterwards uh, said he felt like saying, Knock it off, fella. God knows where he is. You don't have to keep on repeating that address again and again. Anyway, he went on and on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he decided to leave his wife and three kids. He told me that he was walking out on his family. Lord, step in, do something, bring the family back together. And he kept on going on about Charlie Saltzfus, leaving his wife and kids, giving God constant reminders that he lived in the silver trailer a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Finally, the prayers were over. Campolo goes in and preaches. And after he's finished, he says goodbye to everyone, hops in his car and heads off down the highway. Uh, as he's driving down the highway, he notices a hitchhiker. And since preachers like captive audiences, he stopped and he picked this guy up. They drove for a few moments and Campolo said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's yours? The guy says, My name is Charlie Saltzfus. Campolo couldn't believe it. He turned off the highway at the next exit and started to head back. Charlie noticed and said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? Campolo says, I'm taking you home. Charlie was confused and said, Why? And Kampala says, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? Wow. Charlie was shocked. Kampala drove right to the silver trailer, one mile down the road on the right-hand side. Uh, when they arrived, Saltzman said, how did you know I lived here? How did you know I was leaving my family? Kampala replied, God told me. Campolo <laughs> ordered him into the trailer. He talked to Charlie and his wife. He led them both to Christ. And that afternoon, both of them had their marriage restored. Charlie's transformation didn't stop there. Uh, he consistently sought the Lord in prayer, developed a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God, 
And today, Charlie Saltzfuss is still married, and he's a minister in California. Yeah, that's a great testament, isn't it? <coughs> Both this story and the scriptures that we read show us that God had Charlie's number, and he had Saul's number, and the Bible tells us that he's got your number as well. Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Turn to the person next to you and say, God knows everything about you. He knows everything about us because he made us and he loves us. Uh, it's interesting that the, the first thing that Saul says when he is blinded is, Lord, who are you? You know, that's a pretty good question. Lord, who are you? Because we need to know God if we're going to become everything that God has planned and purposed for us to be. You see, without Jesus... Saul was incapable of fulfilling his destiny because like you and I, Saul was created to know God and have the Holy Spirit living within him. Saul's family heritage wasn't enough. His education wasn't enough. Saul's money wasn't enough. His standing in the community was not enough. His religion was not enough. He needed a transformation and that starts with an encounter with Jesus Christ. Your background is not the key to your future. The decisions that you make today are what is important. In fact, Hebrews 3.7 says, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. A four-year-old can hear the voice of God and ask God into their lives. A 95-year-old can hear the voice of God and ask God into their lives. Today, we need to respond to Jesus. The second thing that Saul says is, once he knows it is Jesus, the next thing he asks is, what do you want me to do? And again, that's a great question. Uh, God then told Saul the next step in detail. It's interesting, I think I said a couple of weeks ago that God doesn't often show us the future way down the line. But he often shows us the next step. He guides us, leads us. And today, if you were to pray and say, God, what should I do? He will guide you. 
in the next step. It's not enough, though, for you to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life once, and that's it. You need to respond to the Lord by surrendering control of your life to him and making him number one in your life. And that's something that we need to affirm daily. God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Um, Penny and I have been married for 46 years now. Imagine if when I asked her to marry me, I said, Penny, I love you. Will you marry me? And she said, yes. Well, she did. Uh, Imagine if that was the last time that I ever told her that I loved her. Marriage wouldn't last long, would it? Relationship wouldn't really grow. And the same is with our relationship with the Lord. It's a daily thing. It's a daily communication. It's a surrendering afresh to him. Uh, We're going to spend eternity with God or without him. So now's a great time to accept his loving leadership in our lives. And because God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place, uh, we can have eternal life when we don't really deserve it. Uh, We can pray, God, I thank you that you love me and you want the very best for my life. So I just want to follow you. Have your way in my life. Some of you this morning are living beneath your change potential. You are living beneath the place and the person that God wants you to be with transformation. If there's an area of your life that you haven't allowed God to change, then Transformation is small, and the difference you're making in this world is small compared to your surrendered potential. Saul made a difference because he realized that Jesus Christ had died for him, and so the least that Saul could do was completely live for Jesus. In fact, this is what he says to the Philippian church. He says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. His focus was on Jesus. He wanted to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to live for Jesus 100%. That needs to be our attitude as well. Saul, at that point of decision, surrendered his reputation. He surrendered his time. He surrendered his talents. He surrendered his resources. And then he kept on allowing the Holy Spirit to change him day by day by day you can make a difference in this world right now right now if you are part of this church then God is already using you to make a difference in Whangarei he's already using you to make a difference in the nations. 
and we support missionaries uh, in Europe. We support missionaries in the trouble spot of Ukraine. We support missionaries in Africa. We support missionaries in Asia. And God is using us to make a difference uh, through them. Don't wait till everything is perfect before you use your time and your talents and your resources for the Lord. Start using them now. In 1983, Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple Computers, uh, offered the position of CEO, Chief Executive Officer, to the Pepsi chairman, John Scully. Uh, Scully wasn't really interested in the position. He, he enjoyed working for Pepsi. But Jobs got in Scully's face looked him in the eye and said, are you telling me that you would rather sell sugared water for the rest of your life when you can lead a company that will change the world? Scully left Pepsi, went to work at Apple Computers. What a great question. What are you doing right now? Are you satisfied with your relationship with the Lord? Are you satisfied with what you're doing for God? Are you satisfied with how God is using you, how he's flowing in you, uh, how he's flowing through you? Or is there more? I guarantee God has got more. In fact, his word says uh, he can do far exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even imagine. So my question for you this morning is, what are you asking God? What are you imagining? It all starts with laying down and surrendering your life. People think, oh, gosh, if I surrender everything to the Lord, aren't I losing? No. No, 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 no. It's like, you're in a narrow place, you surrender to God, and suddenly the doors open wide. And there's a vast field of opportunities. And there's a Holy Spirit walking beside you saying, hey, come on, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I never dreamed of the plans and the purposes that God had for my life. I never dreamed of the doors that he would open for me. I never dreamed of the influence that I had. When I first became a Christian at university, it was a struggle for me to even graduate. I made it. I basically just got through. I think I would have been uh, the 11th in a class of 11. But I made it. But God opened the doors for me into a field of opportunity that had given me a passion for and that... New Zealand was just ripe for. I walked through it. I had an amazing time, had a fantastic job. I thought, this is, this is amazing. I've traveled around the world a few times. And then God spoke to me one day and he said, I've got more for you. I've got more for you. Resign your job. Lay it all down. I said, yes, Lord. I started working at a church, just serving the senior leader at that church. 
And God just opened up opportunities that I never, ever thought would be possible. You know, when I worked in industry, I saved our company millions and millions of dollars. And I thought that was pretty good. But you know what God's word says? What's the worth of a soul? What is the worth of a soul? When God gives you the opportunity to change people's lives. When God gives the opportunity to partner with people who are changing people's lives. Take that opportunity with both hands. Because that's what matters. All the stuff that I did, or a lot of the stuff I did in industry, you know, at the end of the world, it's not going to last. But doing stuff for the Lord is going to last for eternity. And you can too. Saul shows us that no matter what our background might be, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, one person can, can make a difference. We can make a difference in our families. We can make a difference for God's creation. We can make a difference for future generations. We can make a difference for God. You can be transformed, but the choice is yours. Let's close our eyes. Musicians, if you'd like to come. So, Lord, this morning, you've been speaking to us about transformation, but also about surrender. Your word declares that the heart of a king is like rivers of river living water in the hands of the Lord. You can turn it this way or that. People, this morning, if you want to be kings, Place your heart in God's hands. Let him guide you. Let him lead you.